This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your host, Javi, taking you on a special edition called Scaring the Ho-Ho-Hos with Angel. All right. So (laughs) I hate that I have to start this episode (laughs) kind of not defending myself, but (laughs) but explaining why I picked the movie I picked. So Javi picked Violent Night, which is the movie we did last week, which is a lot of fun. It's a very Javi movie. Now we're gonna get a completely angel movie in the next one, which is just this really like scumbag film student. Like, I think put on your full body condoms because we're going in, boys. We're gonna talk 1999's Eyes Wide Shut, directed by Stanley Kubrick. A Christmas movie, folks. Remember, the Do We Like Movies definition of Christmas movies is that it takes place during Christmas. (laughs) Literally. Hey, last year we did Spider-Man No Way Home, and uh, I 1,000% know that that movie was not meant to be a Christmas movie, but they just, like, added a couple scenes here and there, like, telling you, oh, yeah, it takes place around Christmas. So, you know, yes. (laughs) Our definition of a Christmas movie is just shit that happens on Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> Hence why we did Batman, which one was eighty nine as a Christmas movie? <laughs> no, we didn't. We did a Batman movie for a Christmas movie. We did not do a Batman movie for Christmas. Don't gaslight me in front of the host. I have not. We have not. I maybe next year we do Batman Returns, but we have not done any Batman Christmas movies. We probably talked about it then. Probably. I mean, we talk about Batman in nearly every episode of the show. <laughs> yeah, and we're keeping it keeping it faithful by doing it right now. <laughs> um. All right. So this movie, <laughs> I think the my favorite part about this is while you were watching this, you sent me a text message asking and saying uh, you you were very interested in recording this episode and finding out why I like this movie. Yes. Because <laughs> on paper, this movie has a lot of the things you hate. Like yeah. unlikable rich white people. Absolutely. All right. So this, in this, keep in mind, like, Tom Cruise stars in this movie. And at the time, like, Tom Cruise was, he was an action movie guy. He was box office, literally one of the biggest stars in the world. And you know what, it, like, the best, like, the only way I could compare it, like, in some ways, is, like, if Dwayne Johnson or, like, Chris Evans, like, decided to do, like... <laughs> decided to to take a break from the movies they were doing to do this bizarre like sexual thriller (laughs) or like erotic thriller movie (laughs) but this is this is not you know again this movie came out in 99 it was kind of a weird common thing in the 90s where movies were doing kind of like these weird like sex mysteries and you know, it happened earlier in the decade with stuff like Basic Instinct and uh, Showgirls, both movies by 
a director that you and I revere because of RoboCop, Paul Verhoeven. Um, <laughs> That's right. And, um, you know, it's I, I feel like there was this, like, short period in the 90s. And this was in the early 90s, but then later, you know, at the end of the decade, like, Kubrick comes in and says, all right, well, this is my version of this. <laughs> and I guess to talk about this is is probably... As random as it is that I picked this, it's really crazy that like this ends up being Kubrick's follow-up to Full Metal Jacket as well. <laughs> like th- he hadn't done a movie since the early 80s and it took nearly 20 years for this movie to be made. And Stanley Kubrick this wasn't even officially Stanley Kubrick's like next project like after he did Full Metal Jacket. There was another movie that he was really trying to work on uh, called the Aryan Papers, which is supposed to be like a movie about this kid and I guess his aunt or his grandmother or something like that, you know, trying to flee uh, during the Holocaust. And uh, basically what put the nail in the coffin for that is is he was working on it around the time that Spielberg does uh, Schindler's List. And I guess uh, mm. the idea was that he didn't, he felt like, you know, two movies about the Holocaust coming out around the same time are like one too Much. many. So <laughs> <laughs> that's two too many Holocaust movies. <laughs> Possibly. Um so yeah th- that's uh that's what he was doing. But I guess another thing that he was working on is I guess since the 70s he was working on this like you know adaptation of like a French sh- uh short novel called Trauma Novel which is supposed to be dream story. And uh, it ends up being like what he turns into Eyes Wide Shut. And I guess initially at some point in time, like he had he had like considered this as being like a starring vehicle for Steve Martin, like in the late 70s. <laughs> like Steve Martin, the comedic actor. Yeah, who... <laughs> Steve Martin. And funny enough, I just watched Planes. I just rewatched Planes, Trains and Automobiles yesterday with Steve Martin and John Candy. And I swear to you, thanks to that annoying tidbit of trivia that i know about eyes wide shut almost any time that i see steve martin in a movie i really try to picture what he would have been like as tom cruise's character in this movie (laughs) that would be so awkward he's like america's dead right but then tom cruise was like you know he's a big box office star who again it's like if you really want to find a, a a modern comparative it really would be like chris evans or you know, like or Dwayne Johnson, who was like a big action star, but more, more, I guess Chris Evans. You Chris know, Evans like, would be more likely to make this type of movie. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just felt like you know it, it was him. It, it was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, kind of saying, "Hey, this is our one chance to work with Stanley Kubrick," not knowing, of course, that this was going to end up being his final movie and he was going to pass away. Well, yeah, um, they were married around the time that they filmed this, right? Yeah, it was a really big deal. In the 90s, they were like one of the first power couples. And Nicole Kidman had done some movies. But honestly, I feel like, you know, besides the movies that she had done in the 90s, which the I think the most famous thing that she had done until that point was actually Batman Forever. And then like, you know, like it like basically made her into more of a star. And then her relationship with Tom Cruise, like just made her i think more of a megastar because once she like and cruise break up she starts doing more like oscar fair like after mm. that and, you and know now it's like got... this very recognizable actress and you more associate her now with the movies that she did in in you know the later 
for you know the 2000s part of her career meanwhile tom cruise runs away from his latent homosexuality and to the <laughs> church of scientology <laughs> yeah i you know i've i don't is like that to what talk i said about... bring it on scientology yeah. I'm not going to talk about that church because apparently they get very angry when you talk about them. But that place that he goes to to worship <laughs> that has a lot of, uh, you know, suspect, um, you know, you things mean, that have that have occurred around them. It's... You mean the creepy fuck cult that chases people down and they try to leave? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know. Yeah, you it's, get it. You interesting get it. irony that, like, you know, that that the movie's about him like stumbling upon like a crazy rich sex cult when you know we have no proof to 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 dispute that he does not in fact involve himself in a creepy, <laughs> strange rich person sex cult in real life. You heard it here first on <laughs> Tui like movies. Tom Cruise is a creepy rich sex cult. <laughs> <laughs> how does this affect you um but yeah it's like uh, it's stanley kubrick has been like toying with this movie and he's wanted to make it forever and at the end of it like you know when he had when he had filmed it he you know t- considered it being his greatest work ever and uh he made one cut that was sent to warner brothers and then he passed away it was so um, good to him that he's like i can die now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know, even then, it's like I I have a hard time believing that it was the last version of this movie for Stanley Kubrick because he's also someone that like that that has gone back and like recut things before. Like I think most notably, I think The Shining was a movie that he was actually messing with in post production when it had come out in theaters already. So <laughs> he's, Jesus he's also- Christ. He's got a habit for being a very meticulous filmmaker, and I put Stanley Kubrick kind of in this category with, I guess, like Hitchcock. Like Hitchcock and Kubrick are two of my favorite directors, like whose works I watch, but who everything you hear about them like tells you that they were absolute like megalomaniacs and they were ass people (laughs) and they were probably like the worst people on earth to work for like i mean stanley kubrick like if for 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 all the genius that he has is a real scumbag in real life because you know of what he did to shelly duvall on the set of the shining Mm -hmm. and also he basically on the set of this movie like spent a lot of time like uh coming in between tom cruise and nicole kidman's marriage most notably not allowing them to be involved in like they could not see each other uh filming scenes where they were having you know where they were you know acting having sex in the movie and uh you know word is that he really like spent he spent like a lot of time like getting to know them and like having them dispel secrets of their marriage to him (laughs) Oh my god, what a fucking psycho. It's pretty insane. And you know this your king. (laughs) What's funny is, you know, these guys like Hitchcock and Kubrick, like if they'd lived long enough to kind of see the modern state of cinema, we you and me would probably be bagging on them for being just as annoying as like Martin Scorsese is now. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like I feel like now like directors have the directors have have learned to kind of like you know don't 
you don't have to hurt people <laughs> to get the reaction you want on film. Like Kubrick feels like a director like Friedkin when we talked about The Exorcist. Someone who's willing to terrorize the actors that he works with to get the performance that he wants. I will fire these guns off in this scene right now. <laughs> I am going to shoot guns now. <laughs> we will not stop playing crazy music until you start crying. But oh, uh, yeah, uh, this, I guess we can get into this movie then. Yeah, before we start, uh, <laughs> we start divulging how much more crazy Stanley Kubrick was in real life. What's your experience with this movie? Is this your first time watching it or have you seen it before? Yes, this is my first time really watching it. It's one of those things that I knew this movie was about a creepy rich sex cult. And I was like, so I would use that into my humor all the time. But this is actually my first time sitting down and watching it. And I have a weird love-hate relationship with Stanley Kubrick and Stanley Kubrick movies in that sometimes they can be very masturbatory. (laughs) And like I don't know. I'm still debating with my opinion on this movie, so I can't wait till we get to the end when we finally get to rate it. But yeah, like... (laughs) I've just been watching it literally like I probably ended the movie what, at three just to actually date this podcast. <laughs> um, so literally I finished watching it right before we hopped on this call. Um, it's a dense movie to talk about too. Like, I mean, yeah, when I found out it was over two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's, more, it's closer to two hours and 40 minutes. Like it really is a long movie. When I found out the length, I remember I even texted you, you fuck. because i was like oh i'm just gonna wait like i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna watch this nice fun jaunty holiday (laughs) you did not think that's how this was gonna go (laughs) and then i look on netflix and it's two hours and 40 something minutes i'm like oh you piece of shit but um but yeah i watched it in the comfort of my own home so it's been it's been an experience all right so this movie came out in 99 i was 10 years old when it came out so obviously i did not see it when it came out in theaters i did not see it when it came out on video if you did it would have explained a lot no but when i was about 12 or 13 years old I did watch this movie for the very first time on HBO Uh, (laughs) and the sexual awakening of Angel. (laughs) Again, I don't want to get too far into personal details of my own life, but you know, I was a kid going through puberty. And obviously the reason why I wanted to watch this movie was because I knew there was naked women in it. <laughs> you were uh, I could pretend I could pretend that I was a cinephile at the age of 12, but I'm not gonna lie about those things. Uh, I was like, yes. oh yeah, there is gonna be naked Nicole Kidman in this. I'm a corny 12-year-old boy. I will absolutely watch this <laughs> for the arts. <laughs> And the movie absolutely rewards you right away. And then at the same time, like, does something completely unexpected for the other, like, nearly three hours of its runtime. <laughs> yeah, if you're thinking, you know, you're right away and you're wondering, man, I could go my whole life and I wonder what Nicole Kidman's cheeks look like. 
<laughs> right away, this movie throws it right at your face. Yeah, she is naked a, quite a bit in this, and especially in the early part of this movie. There's but, a lot you know, of again, this I didn't really pay attention to it as a kid. I watched it for that one reason, and I never thought about it again until I went to college, and then I watched it again as an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I found a lot of, and by that point, I was really into The Shining. I had watched more of Kubrick's stuff, and I feel like I had more of an appreciation for it. And it was one of those movies, kind of like, you know, I think you and I have, or at least I've kind of talked about this on this podcast, how, like, you know, when you're watching The Glorious Bastards and it ends with, like, <laughs> the scene of Brad Pitt saying, this might be my best work ever. You know, like I, I had heard that Stanley Kubrick considered this the his best work ever, and I was, and I wanted to give the movie another shot because I didn't really know what to think about it, and it was really weird. And then there was parts of it too that I remember when I was younger that were creepy, you mm-hmm. know. And I was just like, oh, it's like I, it just it was this weird, bizarre, creepy movie that I had no idea how it became such a big hit or why it was such a big movie in the late nineties. But watching it as an adult, and especially watching it now as like someone who's older and who is married, I feel like the movie does kind of go into deeper things about like, you know, in marriages, like, you know, how like people can have fantasies, bizarre fantasies. And um, specifically, I don't think this movie paints <laughs> Tom Cruise's character in a good light. <laughs> and I oh, don't know not why. at all. And I don't know why, like, one of the most famous action movie stars of the 90s would want to subject himself to basically being rejected for sex over and over and over again in this movie. <laughs> he wants to show he's got range that not only does he have a hatchet job, but that he can also be turned down for sex like us uggos. I will say this, that like one of the things I do like about Tom Cruise in this movie is just the fact that he is kind of just quiet and it's a lot of it is just him staring at stuff <laughs> and like you're watching him process information and he's not very bombastic in this at all you're not watching like psychotic laughter jumping on oprah's couch tom cruise in this this is a very subdued you know what are you telling me kind of tom cruise that you're getting throughout this movie yeah, this is definitely not Ethan Impossible from the movies, <laughs> the Mission Impossible. Um, all right. So, so anyway, I and I'll explain, you know, why, you know, in the times that I've watched this as an adult, I actually now find this to be maybe my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. Which... I can hear the fedora <laughs> and <laughs> And the the scarf being put on. <laughs> and honestly, I know, but this isn't going to be like a thing where Last Jedi, where I'm going to fight my case. I People will listen to this episode and will not agree with me, but I will say why I think what I think as we watch this. So, yeah, all right. I think that's a beautiful intro. Let's get into it. All right, so the movie starts, besides with Nicole Kidman's naked butt, it starts with uh, it starts with Dr. Bill Harford, played by Tom Cruise, and his wife Alice uh, getting dressed and getting ready to go to a Halloween party, a Halloween, a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And the Christmas party is, you know, being put on by one of, uh, you know, Dr. Bill's patients, who is like one of the richest men in New York. 
in this movie, who is played by the act, well, by the director Sidney Pollock. Um, and funny enough, I guess I should mention it now. I was gonna wait till later in the episode, but Sidney Pollock's character of uh, you know, Ziegler. He was originally going to be played by an actor that you like a lot. Mm. Harvey Keitel was what? the original actor for this. Harvey Keitel and Jennifer Jason Lee were originally uh, Ziegler and his wife. I can see Harvey Keitel playing Ziegler. <laughs> and it was I a guess lot more fast talking, but <laughs> there is a lot of like conflicting stories about why Harvey Keitel is not in this movie. Among them are the most you know the most you know well reported scheduling conflicts which is what you hear all the time rumored to be reasons why one of them is one of them did uh, apparently uh harvey Keitel had filmed like half the movie already what? and for those who don't know um you know a lot of like kubrick's movies specifically this movie despite the fact that it takes place in new york stanley kubrick did not leave england uh, to film this so instead of you know them actually shooting on location in new york they ended up building new york streets on you know on the pinewood studios lot which is the lot you know where they where they uh built batman like the the gotham from batman 89 mm-hmm. and uh i think also aliens they they it's like just really giant like famous studio where they built like these huge elaborate sets and they did that with uh you know by building new york so oh, you know wow. with kubrick's movies people I, there was like a tidbit on imdb where uh vincent d'onofrio who had worked on full metal jacket had told <laughs> Cruz and kidman to rent a house or an apartment because they were going to be in london for a long time and they were actually filming <laughs> this movie for about 400 days so jesus plus. christ and uh in in that time they could not do any other projects and they could not take on any other work so it's literally like i feel like <laughs> i feel like in some ways tom cruise and nicole kidman and stanley kubrick are all like the family at the overlook hotel in the shining <laughs> by the end of this <laughs> he just holds this hollywood power couple hostage <laughs> relocates them to england and then proceeds to torture them for a year <laughs> But the reason I mentioned that is that apparently that was one of the reasons that has been reported as to why Carvey Keitel left is that he could not be there and could not dedicate the amount of time that Kubrick wanted to shooting. And now the most ridiculous out of pocket, but absolutely just rumored and not (laughs) it's just rumored. Okay, so I would take this with like a massive boulder of salt understand that i will not do that (laughs) but one of the reasons why it's been said that harvey keitel was asked to leave this movie is because he wanted to go full method by playing uh ziegler (laughs) and that apparently at some point in the film production ejaculated in nicole kidman's hair (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i'm sorry what (laughs) No, do I believe that happened? Absolutely not. But oh, you know, it is no. stuff that I've heard. So, 
Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Even if that's a rumor, how do you come up with that? <laughs> yeah, you got to be a sick individual to come up with that. That is some sicko's behavior. It's the type of sicko that picks to review Eyes Wide Shut during no, the No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Andre the Giant video. No, 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 no. <laughs> trying to defend yourself from the sickos. Uh, all right, so Ziegler is this, you know, rich like New York, you know, socialite, I guess, or, or some just, sort of famous person who's insanely rich, just nutting uh, people's hair and whatnot. <laughs> so he's hosting a holiday party, and they don't know anybody who's there, right? You know. And Bill and Alice, they live in this really expensive apartment in Central Park. Um, you know, just the two of them with their daughter, who, you know, they're getting out for a night out to go to this party. So it's just, it, the movie's really good at showing you these are ultra rich people. Like, you know, he clearly has just famous and rich patients, and that's why he lives where he lives. Absolutely. Because that apartment is fucking huge and beautiful. Yes. I, I will say this. I love the sets in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of what I really like about this movie is the aesthetic. The aesthetic is from is everywhere, dude. Like it is like the, the holiday lights at the Christmas party that they're at. You know how everything is just lit up with Christmas trees and, and those colored lights everywhere to even moments where Bill goes like to these like basement bars and mm-hmm. you know it's like or like cafes like everywhere that he goes has this really particular like christmas aesthetic that is absolutely not the way it is in real life but it feels dreamy right like you know mm-hmm. it's just it, this movie starts i guess in some sort of grounded reality and becomes increasingly more dreamlike as it goes on and it's all so. to just the use of lighting like you were mentioning right and um, so they, they're at this party and at some point they get separated. You know, Bill ends up uh, being accosted by these uh, two supermodels who apparently he knew one of them at one point. Oh, and... man, what a terrible problem to have. <laughs> and uh, Alice ends up getting like, you know, flagged by a Hungarian art dealer. <laughs> Anytime you put Hungarian and some sort of dealer in like as an occupation, I immediately think evil. Like, <laughs> and basically, it's just you know they they are both drunk and horny at this party because you know Jeez. Bill is Bill is like absolutely you know excited by the mere proposition of these two models like suggesting that you know that they should walk together and go where the rainbow ends which is a thousand percent them saying they want to have a threesome with them (laughs) the rainbow ends in our vaginas (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile alice is like you know the hungarian art dealer could not possibly be more horny for alice if he could not possibly be more sexually aggressive either And he's like, it's literally like, you know, he's like quoting, you know, like, like weird, like figures and literature and all that stuff. And it's just like, it's, it's what a college, it's like what, like a tenured college professor would think of as like flirting. (laughs) 
I know it gets it gets really uncomfortable after a while, especially when she keeps saying, "Hey, I got to go see my husband," and he's like, "Do you though? Do you really?" Yeah, and but, you know the other thing too is like, I mean, I, I can't imagine what Alice thinks when at some point he kind of ends up disappearing, not mm-hmm. because he ends up going to sleep with the models, but because he gets called upstairs by Seekler. Um, and before that, he even stops to 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 meet up with one of the members of the band mm-hmm. who was playing at this party. Uh, his name is Nick. He is a pianist, and he, I guess, went to medical school with Bill. So they mm-hmm. happen to know each other somehow. Uh, yeah, they, have, like, they catch think, up very quickly. I think he mentioned that Nick like dropped out when they first got there. Mm-hmm. So that's like the only person that uh, Bill knew. I thought he was going to be a dick and be like, ha he dropped out. I thought there was going to be like this weird elitism. Oh, I think he's very much a dick about it. Like, <laughs> you think so? I thought he was I, less he, of a dick. Once a doctor, always a doctor. Like, it was weird. And it's just like this. Yeah, it is him. So you're in a band, are you? And it's just like, it's it's this weird thing where clearly they get along together. But it's like, but I get the feeling that like Bill likes hanging around him because it makes him feel like a bigger man. Like I get the impression that Bill hangs around all these like really wealthy, rich, influential people and wants to be them. Mm -hmm. And I think what you find out throughout the entire film is that he actually cannot be them because Mm -hmm. they are still playing in a tax bracket that is much higher than he is. But it's like any chance, any time that he gets the opportunity to kind of, you know, flex around people who aren't at even his level, it's mm-hmm. he will take it, is what I feel. So, yeah, they're playing in a whole different ball game, both economically and morally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, after he meets this guy and after he meets the models, he gets called upstairs to Ziegler's party, where Ziegler is literally in a bathroom, like half naked with a completely naked overdosing prostitute <laughs> i was like oh someone started the dead whore counter it is really he... weird because you know you meet him and his wife like in, they, they are the first people that bill and alice meet when they come into this party mm-hmm. and like what feels like not even a couple hours later you know this guy has been upstairs like doing it with a hooker and like nearly both of the nearly she died like she's nearly dead as well it makes me think of the it makes me think of the joke from uh archer where he's like no when they're dying you call them whores <laughs> but yeah i was like jesus christ my guy like we literally bet you five minutes ago and you're already plowing other women <laughs> yeah it's really gross he's really gross you know and, at least he knew uh, her name that made me feel kind of better <laughs> i guess and like, uh again it's like bill is helping him out you know trying to make sure that this that this girl's okay yeah you, you know, find out she took a, a speed ball and if you don't know what that is it's coke and heroin which are two things that should never be used together yeah you wouldn't want to use one of these let alone Two of these at the same time <laughs> one being an oper one being a downer so she's like probably having a heart attack <laughs> yeah no like clearly she's she's like barely like conscious it's like groans and like subtle movement of like a single appendage like a finger or something mm-hmm. like it's very dangerous and uh you know he tells her that she's lucky to be alive 
and all that kind of stuff, and that she should hang around. <laughs> and Ziegler, Ziegler is absolutely annoyed that the dying woman <laughs> needs to hang around for a few minutes before she can be unceremoniously thrown in a cab and sent home to complete dying. <laughs> Such a piece of shit, dude. <laughs> he's just like, he's talking about how this, how this woman... The sex worker he paid so that he can just like stick his shit in. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is inconveniencing me and no one's thought about it. <laughs> By the way, I love the treatment of an overdose with the use of zero counteracting drugs. Yeah. It like it, it literally just felt like he said, you know what it feels like as an IT person. I have moments in IT where, like, I have done absolutely no work on something. I just show up, and all of a sudden, like, either either somebody was, like, doing something to their computer that was causing it to completely freeze, and they finally just gave it a minute to start working again, or just something bizarre happens. When I show up, it starts working again, and they're like, well, I guess you just had to be here, and I'm just like, yeah, I guess I did. Job's and finished. Then, <laughs> and then he goes <laughs> and a little party dies inside. Literally, that is what Bill does here for this nearly dying one. <laughs> Ziegler, I guess he just had to be here. Oh, really? Really, Ziegs? Is that what I had to do? <laughs> Maybe you stop force feeding your drugs. You ever think of that, you piece of shit? Oh, shit. Oh, my God. But eventually, yeah, the, she's able to get better. Um... And I guess the is it the same night or the next night that uh, Bill and Alice are just kind of hanging out in the house? No, so you know once they cut back to Alice and the Hungarian, and mm-hmm. uh, she finally tells him that you know she can't be with it, she can't uh, go with him because she's married, and she shushes him and she walks away, and then you get like the Chris Isaac song that starts playing while both of them are like making out naked in front of the mirror. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of random cuts to them making out naked yes and i'm just like why yeah welcome back welcome back to more n- naked kissing <laughs> naked kissing the movie <laughs> and it's just like this really quick scene and then all of a sudden then you you end up cutting to the next day which I, this is where we get to the part of it where it's just more interesting to me again it's like it's them as a married couple going throughout their day. Alice is, you know, is with their daughter, like getting ready, helping her out with homework and and wrapping presents and all that kind of stuff. And then they show Bill and this, you know, at the hospital doing his thing, watching patients. Um, and then and it's like a montage. And then mm-hmm. once the montage is over, then Bill comes back home, and uh, you know that's where they kind of sit and talk um and and then they decide that they're going to you know once their daughter is asleep they smoke weed and they're going to basically lay in bed uh Ooh. getting high getting <laughs> 420 blazing oh yeah all right i'm not married but is this a normal thing married couples do like i'm just... sure there are married couples that do it and you know, smoking marijuana is a lot more socially acceptable now than it was in '99. Are you saying you and your wife aren't groovy? You guys aren't just <laughs> laying around smoking the reefer? We are not doing this. I guarantee you that. But what I'm saying is, I'm sure it's normal for a lot of people, given how socially acceptable marijuana is now. 
which I have no problem with it. You know, the marijuana should be it's it should be legal and uh people who are jailed for you know selling marijuana should also be free so don't don't take the fact that i don't partake as me being against it because i'm absolutely not no you heard it here first angels pro war on drugs (laughs) but all right so they get high and they decide that you know that's where alice decides to ask him hey you know did those two supermodels you know take you upstairs for you to Fuck them like straight up says that right yeah she <laughs> zero candor i respect her for that yeah and he like you know just uh, what are you crazy what are you talking about no i had to help Ziegler, which he's right he's absolutely mm-hmm. right and he's telling the truth and then you know that's where she kind of like what this makes me think of and you know i'm not going to reveal things about my actual marriage but <laughs> what this makes me think of is that literally there are moments like as, as a married couple where you do like you'll have time where maybe you don't communicate how you're feeling at one moment mm-hmm. and then later it comes up in another discussion and this is like this is very accurate and i think the reason why you get a couple who's actually married to star in this movie together is because you get scenes like this you get scenes where they're both arguing and it feels so it feels real this the is the best part of the movie in my opinion like yeah it this it's, is like in hereditary the argument at the at the uh at the dinner table like it's just an awkward misunderstanding that kind of has blown up into this giant fight and now truths about of each other has been revealed and this is again this is the part of the movie where i actually start really liking it and i find it really interesting and the older that i've gotten and the more that i watch it it really just does become the best scene in the movie like you said because that's where Alice says, hey, you know, it's like they go back and forth and they talk and he basically tells her, you know, like when she goes, look, she goes, there's a Hungarian wanted, he wanted sex with me upstairs. And, you know, that's where that's where he's like, oh, he's all getting, he's, you know, like necking her talking about, oh, he wanted to fuck my wife and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and he goes, I guess I can understand that. And she gets like really mad and that's where like you know she goes you know are you are really sure of yourself that you know that you that i wouldn't do anything and then he goes well i'm sure of you and that's where they argue with each other and she decides <laughs> to tell him the story of when they went on vacation to cape cod and uh, she saw some naval officer that was there and you know like is is honest with him and said hey I was so horny for this guy that I would have a thousand percent like left you and my daughter that night just for sweet, (laughs) sweet sex with this Navy guy and uh, straight up tells him, hey, you and I like screwed on this vacation and not once did this guy ever leave my mind. (laughs) Oh, and and that's when like. And, and this is where it shatters the male ego. I was about to and say. And this is what, it's literally like this. You know those memes where they talk about like how like men should be allowed to cheat, but let a woman even think about cheating or dream about cheating. And it's like the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. That is what is happening. She has completely shattered his masculinity in one moment by saying, 
you know, I would have left you for this guy. <laughs> and that's the crazy part to me. The, the whole argument starting was wild to me. Yeah. Like The whole argument starting was stupid and because probably was shouldn't those, have. But like, because I, it started, it's interesting. <laughs> like It's one of those things where it's like, I understood kind of what Bill was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Where he was trying to say that women are more inclined to be faithful than men. And I'm like, is that kind of an Andrew Tate take? Maybe. Yes. Maybe <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but I what he was what he was really trying to communicate was that he had trust and faith in Alice as a person. Did he communicate that the right way? Fuck no, he didn't. Absolutely did. not. <laughs> and then not only that, she crushes his little manberry so hard by just being like this guy just really did it for me, and I thought about him all weekend. And he goes, I'm gonna fuck everyone. <laughs> I do think the one part where Alice is off, though, and probably wrong, is the scene where she talks about, Hey, I bet when you've got patients in your office and you're feeling their tits that you're getting turned on or they're getting turned on by you, and like all this stuff. But then, even then, it's like the conversation moves on to you know like hey he's like absolutely not it's not on my mind and you even saw in the montage of him working that he was Mm -hmm. there with the topless woman he says that there's always a nurse present you know and it's very impersonal and you know it's his job and she gets really upset about that it's just what it is is like it's two people that clearly aren't communicating aren't having enough sex with each other i guess and they're they're to the point where they're kind of like they're kind of like imagining dumb shit in their head and i and and i think that's like again it's 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 just funny to see it because it feels very authentic it feels like stuff that happens oh absolutely this is one of those arguments where literally both people have already mad so it's like you'll continue to say like you're just trying to hurt each other at that point yeah (laughs) and that's why it's very like it's a very authentic fight um, and then so much so that throughout the rest of the movie, Bill starts imagining Alice having sex with a rando naval officer. Oh, yeah. Which and never like, <laughs> happened. It this never is- happened. And literally, like they, they zoom in. You know, they this is the thing. There's a lot of like stuff from other Kubrick movies in this. There's a lot mm-hmm. of the shining in this. Like when the camera is following the cab as it's like going down the streets of New York or heading towards the sex mansion, <laughs> it's it's the same moving camera behind the cab as you see going behind uh, the tricycle in The Shining. Oh, you know, yeah. When Danny's yeah. like going through the overlook and the camera's following him, you get exactly that kind of scene. And then this the zoom the, the zoom up that you get of Tom Cruise sitting in in the back of a cab, like imagining Alice getting like screwed by this naval officer. It's literally the zoom in that Jack Torrance gets when he's like staring out the window at the maze from the Overlook Library. Like he's literally becoming a psychopath <laughs> imagining this imagine this imaginated uh, sex scenario. Now in their current year of 2020, 2022, sorry. I lost two years, apparently. <laughs> Angel, you're a well-adjusted man who probably, you know, and you're also comfortable talking about mental health. Yeah, I, w- I would say that you're the type of person that if you were in a situation like this, you would have the grown-up 
um idea of hey honey how about we go see a therapist and we talk out some of these issues with like a mediator and we can learn to communicate i don't think you or possibly but i yeah possibly and i do think that like yes it's it's what people should do i don't think uh, i do think honestly i do think in in a marriage like sorry i don't mean to jump over you but honestly what i would probably think in a marriage is that i should look within myself Mm-hmm. To see what my problem is with the situation, especially if it's something that's imagined and not actually real, <laughs> I would start there even before we go to the marriage counseling part of it. Uh-huh. But continue, sorry. Because <laughs> no, my point is, you don't immediately react the way Bill's going to, where he's just like, I'm going to try to have sex with all of New York now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so what ends up stopping this argument is uh the phone call of his dead patient right yes so he's got to go visit another dead patient at another rich new york apartment and there he ends up um he he ends up also meeting up with uh the patient's you know adult daughter and funny enough if you notice this patient's adult daughter and then later her fiance that comes in they look very much like, you know, doppelganger versions of Bill and Alice, don't they? I noticed that. Like, obviously, yeah. the fiance's taller because, like, <laughs> Tom Cruise is five six. Tom Cruise is a slight man, and even in real life, like Nicole Kidman was taller than he was. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, <laughs> like they're both like you know he's dark haired, she's a blonde. Like, yeah, they're very. They're, they, they're kind of like a weird, bizarre world, of, like, counterparts. But if you think about this in the terms of Dream, which is, like, again, Trom Novel, like, the book that this was adapted from, I, I feel like the fight between Bill and Alice is the before we're going to bed, and now we're going to bed mad at each other, and now much of the rest of this movie feels like the dream that Bill is having the night after this fight. Mm-hmm. and yeah, again and part of what makes it feel really dreamy is like middle of the night here he is like meeting this dead patient and then of course he sees his daughter who like bill barely knows and he admits that he barely knows mm-hmm. and he's barely had a conversation with her and while he's like sitting there telling her what she should do now that her father has passed away she like decides to kiss him and um talks about how she loves him despite the fact that she doesn't know him at all and i almost feel like this is basically a manifestation of what bill has been thinking mm-hmm. you know of what basically alice was saying to bill like you know it's like this person that i didn't know that i'd never met before but i would absolutely give up whatever it takes to you know for one night of filthy carnal desires <laughs> we really gotta examine the way you describe <laughs> sex <laughs> the carnal desire i like this i think i'm having more fun just describing everything in like the most old man way possible <laughs> or just the <laughs> most like a person clutching their pearls way possible <laughs> You filthy, filthy sickos <laughs> and your carnal desire. Um, but yeah, it's like it's almost like him actually seeing the thing he was afraid of. And um yeah, then he like he he ends up leaving once mm-hmm. the fiance shows up. Encounters another he, blonde. <laughs> right. And that's where he ends up like walking through the streets of New York. And of course, that is where he meets Domino. Ooh. <laughs> And you know, the funny thing about Domino is that, like, I was like, man, I was like, I know this actress. I've seen her in other stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, I swear to you, I, I recognize this girl. And of course I recognize her. She was in Hocus Pocus. She she's she's uh, Vanessa Shaw. She's like the 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 like um you know main actress in Hocus Pocus. Oh, and I was recently watching Hocus her. Pocus on Halloween. This is but this is how sick I am because I was literally watching Hocus Pocus with my wife on Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why do I know this woman? And, and I called the girl from Hocus Pocus, which is what everybody will know her as when they mm-hmm. see her. It is her most famous role, but I turned around to my wife. And I was like, "Oh yeah, she plays the prostitute in Eyes Wide Shut." <laughs> Literally, what nobody would think of, like in, in her career, is like the one role I remember from. Hey, you're. I was disgusted with myself uh, watching this movie because I totally recognized an underage Lily Sobieski as the fucking costume shop's daughter. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> But we'll get to that later. Right. Um, but yeah, but... he ends up encountering Domino, a.k.a. Miss Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I was about to say Bette Midler. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, like, she takes him to, like, uh, her, you know, her apartment, which is, again, it's just really weird, like, apart like weird victorian apartment that's got like a tub in the kitchen and mm. like dude i swear to you you know the, a lot of the places in sanford a lot of the older buildings in san francisco like where a lot of our aunts and uncles and our cousins used to live mm. they used to look like this like this is i, I recognize these kinds of buildings yeah. just like these old victorian like you know home slash apartment buildings like they're very easily recognizable as like these big city like <laughs> spots that and it's, again it's weird it's like yeah it's here she is in her house her house is unkempt but yet she puts up a christmas tree and mm. it, she has christmas lights like string all over her apartment and uh I yeah think i it, guess i think it kind of plays back to what you were saying how she's another dream version of alice because i like, feel like they all are it's literally like him like looking for different versions of alice yeah because you take like the house they live in this big open apartment like their home right where everything is so fucking opulent and then it's like now you're juxtaposing it with another woman who's a stand-in for alice but now everything's cramped small they're on they're practically on top of each other the entire like because they have to be because how small the goddamn like kitchen is that they're it's like dreams right like it's dreams because in dreams you're jumping from location to location and sometimes mm-hmm. a place that started off as like a big old place can end up all of a sudden being somewhere completely different. Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah, it's absolutely what is happening here. And of course, like right when it looks like Bill might end up going for it, that's when the phone call, he gets another phone call from Alice and it almost like is the call that wakes him up out of his first night's sleep, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where she's going to go home and that's where he goes, well, I guess I got to go home. Mm-hmm. and um even though he doesn't but he's saying he's going to uh because i think it's still the same night where he ends up deciding that he's gonna go uh to the sonata cafe since he's already up all late uh to go you know all right well i guess i'll go see where nick is at mm-hmm. <laughs> randomly and uh again it's like this this doesn't even it feels like new york it feels like what a tourist thinks new york feels like mm-hmm. like as someone who has never been to new york city i can picture new york looking like this 
but I can bet you that if I was in New York City, it wouldn't exactly look like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. I think that is all the same night, huh? Yeah, it's literally this movie only takes place across like two nights, so it's it, it's really part of what's interesting. It's just like how it's like him waking up from the dream, and then now you're you're. It's almost like when you're sleeping at night, and then you wake up in the middle of the night, and then you go back to sleep again, and you might have another dream. Mm-hmm. because that's what happens then all of a sudden like he's done with this prostitute he pays her anyway because he has the money mm-hmm. big yeah spender. he loves showing gonna, that off i'm gonna pay you all this money. there's nothing more like it's literally like money is like flashing his dick to people not just that but he's also really happy about uh, flashing his medical state board license like mm-hmm. <laughs> as well like his medical license gets like a, he's a fucking fbi agent he keeps flashing it to people you know like when he flashes it at the at the cafe or the cafe uh waitress i'm like why does she give a shit but you know what if i spent all that time in school and i and i became a doctor i'd probably do the exact same bull- <laughs> oh dude doing? are you kidding kind of like peeking behind the curtain sort of thing like once i get certified as a social worker and you have everything i'm flashing that everywhere i'm getting <laughs> i'm getting i don't know what discounts i'm getting look also, at, speaking look of which, my things give me my free things thank me for my service <laughs> uh so he ends up going to the to this bar the sonata cafe is this mm-hmm. you know bar that's open late at night which i i can't help it i really like it it's really neat it's a really neat place like i feel like for some reason i wish i could live in like some of the buildings here because i just like i like the atmosphere and the ambiance of of it like and i've been and funny enough like i'm pretty sure that you know one night when my wife and i were we went to go watch a movie at the castro theater in san francisco and then right after that, we ended up going to a diner that was near the theater that was like, you had to walk downstairs and the bathroom was like in this weird spot around the building. Like, I swear to you, I felt like I was in this movie when I was there. And I've had nights where, where I do go to places in the city that mm-hmm. like remind me of the places in this movie. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, he ends up at this downstairs bar, sits down, waits, uh, you know, he's getting there right as uh, Nick is finishing his set. And he runs right into him and he talks to him. And what I think is happening here, like, I think that, again, it's like another thing where Bill got rejected or at least, you know, like he basically got busted and to like make himself feel better for the sex he's not having. He's all right. Well, let me go like look at this guy who's less than me. And what he finds out, like thinking that probably, you know, he's he's obviously he's a struggling musician. He probably doesn't Mm -hmm. have a lot going on in his life. What he actually finds out is that Nick is actually like a, you know, a a family man who's got Mm -hmm. two sons and a wife back in Seattle. And he's, you know, he 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 has like a good family, and you know, it's like that's where Bill's kind of like, oh well, this guy's not as miserable as I thought. And it almost feels like you're disappointed finding out what he does he's about like, Nick. He's like this idiot, this stupid, happy family. <laughs> um, but while they're having this conversation, Nick ends up getting a phone call, and he ends up writing a single word on a cocktail napkin, Fidelio. And uh, <laughs> you know, while he's talking to Bill, he mentions to him that he's got another gig going on later at night. 
And this is supposed to be like 2 a.m. in the morning. So this place is like, they're not getting started till about 3.30 a.m. or something like that. Well, this is normal New York. Hence why it's called <laughs> the city that never sleeps. Like, you got to remember, New York, bars don't close till like 5 a.m. Yeah, absolutely. So... It's it's a place where, where places are just open perpetually. I get that. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. But it's just, it, it's so like, again, it's like this weird, like, adult thing, like, where especially watching it as like a young person, you're like, man, this is cool. Is this what being an adult is like? You get to be out all night, like, doing <laughs> you get to be out shit? all night go- going to sex parties and shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so like Nick tells him that you know there's a place that he's going to. It's a place that's always changing. It's a masquerade ball. You have to go in a costume, and uh, he ends up basically spilling the beans to Bill. And Bill goes, all right, well, I we will we have never met you know we won't know each other and uh i'll go there on my own um and basically you know nick pretty much tells him hey you know i, I played blindfolded there and one time a blindfold came off and he saw naked women and bill <laughs> much like 12 year old angel who was watching this on hbo was excited <laughs> for naked women that is what we're watching we are watching naked chicks <laughs> that is what we're here for and uh so Bill, you know, ends up going to a costume shop that's down the street because literally mm-hmm. everything is just like a, a brief walk in this version of New York. Yeah, because, oh, why not? Why wouldn't there be a full, like, formal costume shop that you can just <laughs> rent from, like, within a block of where he just was? Right. And I'm sure, I think he does take, like, a cab, but whatever. I just like to pretend that everything's on the same block so I can get angry about it. <laughs> well, again, I mean, it feeds into the whole dream thing that you got going on, which actually, now that makes the movie much more interesting in my book. Right, and you know, what does, too, is that there's a lot of, like, these blocks. It, a lot of the sets in this movie are, it's not, the set is not as big as you think, and you end up seeing some of the same places in different spots. So that 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 contributes to just kind of weird. It's the it's the bizarreness of it. And again, like it's weird. Like I like Kubrick stuff, but then I also like mm. like I also like David Lynch stuff. And David Lynch stuff is just kind of like I mean, David Lynch like lives in the bizarreness of things, and he loves just making shit uber weird and doing weird stuff for the sake of doing it. Sometimes <laughs> he does love weird shit. So it's no surprise that a movie like this like is interesting to me. <laughs> and the funny thing about this is that now, like, I remember your question to me <laughs> while we were watching this, and I'm very interested to see why you like this. And honestly, I think this is why I like it. It's a movie that doesn't feel like it's about much, but things are just constantly happening, and and it just flies for me. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, he goes to the costume part and the place, and that's where he meets like, you know, Millich, I guess is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. And this is again, the movie is going; it is going further off the rails as like each each encounter continues <laughs> for Bill because it literally started as him going to see a patient, and then it jumped to him meeting a prostitute, and then it comes to him meeting his, you know, his old. Uh, medical school pal and now he's at this costume shop where not only is he going to get a costume for this 3 a.m orgy party but he's also there as he's talking to the guy at the who owns the costume shop he goes downstairs into his costume place he sees that the lights are on in there and that somebody is inside his costume shop which is very hot which is heavily armed and alarmed and <laughs> that's There's where like you find food. out yeah there's like food the tv's on he's like what the hell who's in here 
and you see two older Asian gentlemen who are wearing like powdered makeup and are in speedos. <laughs> oh my god! And then he's and then and then Lilich gets furious and starts throwing stuff at who we then see is young Lily Sobieski in just brown panties come running around. Yeah, and, this, and ran- this is this is the even even as a kid like this is the weird one. It's like oh, I don't want to see this. This little girl looks like she's twelve. Get her off the screen. <laughs> and then the way she holds on to Tom Cruise and like to protect herself from her dad. I'm just like I'm uncomfortable the it entire is time. Yeah, it is very uncomfortable, and uh, you know there he goes. Oh look, he's sitting there calling his daughter a little whore, and he's yelling at the guy, saying that he's going to call the police, as he should. By the way, he mm-hmm. should call the police. <laughs> um, but he, then know. he locks him up, saying he's going to call the cops, and then <laughs> he's continuing to sell a costume to Tom Cruise. And then he yells at his daughter to go upstairs. She whispers something in Tom Cruise's ear. We have no idea what it is. Nope. It's just, it's it's weird and don't know what it serves for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's funny, but it's like, it, it's, it's, we have just gone off the rails at this point. <laughs> and yeah. again, it's, this cannot be real. And you know what? I saw this YouTube video once and I don't remember which one it is. I wish I could credit them with it. But it, it, where it talks about how, like, this movie, like, it starts with the Ziegler party and then mm-hmm. it goes to the mansion party where, like, you know, the Ziegler party, everything has light, has Christmas lights and everything looks like Christmas lighty. And then by the time you get to the mansion, everything is like burgundy carpets and a lot of the decorations are gone. Mm-hmm. And if you notice in this in this scene, when they're in the rainbow fashion, co- you know, costume shop, um it's got a combination of christmas lights and the dark red carpeting that you'll see later mm-hmm. and and this youtuber i remember talked about how this you know how earlier when the models were talking about we should go where the rainbow ends that the costume shop kind of is where the rainbow ends because well that's here, what it's called it's called yeah, rainbow costume rainbow co- costumes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so from here once he gets his costume he ends up taking the cab to this deserted place and you know what will you actually re- recognize this place from is that this is the the like the, the stand the out the exterior shots of this place mm-hmm. are the same ones that they use for batman begins and and dark knight rises for bruce wayne's house yeah they use this this particular a building a lot in different yeah. movies like i think it was used in the kingsman it gets used i think it, it's like supposed to be also the grounds for uh expansion and uh x-men first class mm-hmm. if i remember correctly but yeah it's like it's a very famous location yeah so there so that's where he ends up it's called summerton here the sign says summerton mm-hmm. and uh so he he the, you know, the cab stops there he like tells him hey you know i'll pay you all this money you'd like <laughs> if you just let me go in there for a few minutes with my costume and just wait for me outside and <laughs> decides to bizarrely like tear up a hundred dollar bill and say i'll give you the second this guy's a prick He'll give you the second half of the hundred dollar bill when I return. <laughs> it was so yeah. I was like, what the shit? Just give him the hundo. Yeah, come on, just idiot. <laughs> like you're already throwing your money around. We get it, Mister Big New York City Doctor. Like, 
Oh, yeah, he was just being a fucking dickhead the entire time. So Tom Cruise goes inside, you know, this mansion after saying the password at the front door. And uh, this is probably the part that everyone will remember, you know, who remembers this movie. (laughs) I I sent you the It's Always Sunny joke, right? (laughs) I could not get over that joke while watching the movie this time. I know, it really just kind of ruined it for you. (laughs) It didn't ruin it for me, it just made it even more hilarious to me. Because I just pictured like Danny DeVito. <laughs> What's the password? Orgy. <laughs> <laughs> and then like all of them are like wearing these like dollar store like half masks <laughs> instead of like these really elaborate like you know like medieval doctor masks. Like <laughs> I know some of these masks are super creepy. They're very like like reminiscent of old like plague doctors masks or just like old masks from like with accentuated features that just look really eerie and make you feel off Mm -hmm. and it's like and there it is it's like it's uh it's again it's i don't really want to talk we don't have to talk much about it because you know what happens it's an orgy he walks by and he sees a lot of people doing it (laughs) in costumes and a lot uh, of ass shots no yeah. dong, which I was let down by. Excuse me? Yeah, dude. I mean, if you're going to objectify women to this point, <laughs> where most of the women in your film are in varying states of undress, at least hang some goddamn dong. Like, it reminds me of that like TikTok video, like the TikTok trend, where people show food videos to that Bad Bunny song, and like you see like a quick uh, like you know shot of like two guys making out during it and like all the reaction videos that came from that <laughs> where one of the guys was he looks he goes girls i want to see men <laughs> <laughs> and i pictured what you said just now <laughs> girls i'm here to see men <laughs> that's what i want to see <laughs> oh god but i mean I'm just saying, with 2022 sensibilities, hang a couple dongs, all right? That's yeah. all I'm Again, it's, a, it's, it's like what people talked about with uh, Game of Thrones. Like, there was a lot of naked chicks, and at least they evened it out with some dong. But I guess they could have put some more dong in there. I don't know. I'm tired of having this conversation. What are your notes for Eyes Wide Shut needs more dong? <laughs> My official review for Eyes Wide Shut. Not enough dong. Uh, uh, how much dog is too much dog? Not enough in this movie. <laughs> says this reviewer. Oh, shit. All anyway. right, so anyway, he walks, you get the montage of him walking through the uh, mansion and he ends up, you know, getting flagged by one of the women who happens to be there. You know, she tells him that he's in danger. Um, and she, he's yeah, like, she, yeah, the sexy kind. And she's like, no, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. And she, he's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He thinks he's going to get lucky. And she's like telling him that, no, you're actually in danger. You know, you have to get out of here. And eventually, like, you know, so one of the other, like, hosts, you know, like one of the guys from the door, the doorman from the party tells him, hey, your cab is waiting outside. Here, why don't we take you to them? 
And probably the creepiest part of this movie comes when he, like, instead of being led to the front door, is led to, like, this big old parlor that they were all in in the beginning. Uh, you know, just listening to that weird music and that strange, like, you know, gold-faced, red-cloaked, like, you know, priest man was there. Like, like easily 70 smoke at those, like, naked women. <laughs> I know, dude, yeah. <laughs> easily like 70 to 80 people surrounding him like that's the thing when they open the door and then they close the door and when he gets close to, when he starts walking up to the weird creepy red priest and then they surround him at that point is when I'm dropping people I am I am starting <laughs> to swig on everyone you're gonna have to kill me now Mm-hmm. You it looks like you have made a mistake. You're locked in here with me. And I just start <laughs> punching everybody. This is where Tom Cruise like should have turned it into an action movie. Is what you're saying? I'm just saying if this movie became a hobby movie, this is the point where it does so. <laughs> uh yeah and not only are everyone just not only do they keep cutting to all the different masks that are staring at him but they're playing this really creepy like single piano that keeps like playing a high note over and over and over again that's like annoying and like six decibels louder than everything else in the movie (laughs) i know it's like it, it does its job it makes you feel super uncomfortable for this scene yeah and they make him take his mask off and they tell him, you better not tell anybody about what you're seeing here or you're going to be, you and your family are doomed, basically. <laughs> doomed! So. We know. And they, they get him because they ask him what the second password is to which he responds he doesn't know. And then they're like, ha, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> and then, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> and then at that point, does he get escorted? Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't get escorted out. This is where uh, the feathered woman offers herself as volunteers as tribute pretty much. yes she basically sacrifices herself for him and uh you know then you get the really creepy guy with like the long beak mask that comes up mm-hmm. and dude i know that you and i have both seen the movie the poughkeepsie tapes which Ooh. is like is such a disturbing weird you know, never officially released 2007 found footage movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the creepiest scenes, I think, in that movie are when the killer decides to put on what I only described as, like, the eyes wide shut mask. Yeah. <laughs> Except, like, he puts it on with a full black, like, you know, form-fitting bodysuit and does this bizarre crawl all over the floor as he's getting closer to the camera. And, uh, yeah, for anybody who hasn't seen that movie, it will it might give you a sleepless night. And now there's gonna be people asking for the Poughkeepsie tapes. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Maybe in October. Maybe we'll re- review it in October then. Yeah, that one will that one might actually require like a content warning and like telling yes. people, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So from there it cuts to Bill coming back home. Uh he ends up going to sleep. Yeah, well, he ends up coming to his room, and as he's about to lay down in his bed, Alice wakes up, um, and it's like literally early morning. Like he, this guy's been out all night, and uh, she ends up telling Bill that she had a dream about like how both of them were naked in like this giant group of people, 
and they end up getting mm-hmm. separated kind of like Ziegler's party except the difference is this time that it's like her being with all these men and uh you know i don't know how many i was with and basically like and they it's, were it's... all more manly than you they were all bigger and stronger <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's it, it almost feels like she experienced something close to what he was feeling mm-hmm. in the middle of this orgy like at the end and uh it's again it's almost like him like realizing he has to wake up for the night from his sleep because then we cut back to him being back, you know, at his job in the hospital. Except this time, instead of him actually working, he's just sitting at his desk imagining more of his wife getting screamed by the naval officer. I know now now she's getting railed by the naval officer, <laughs> plus everyone in masks. <laughs> and my, my favorite part is she starts laughing. She's like, she's laughing when she's telling him about the dream. And then she's like, yeah, you're pretty much, I was cucking you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, hey, you know, in consensual couples, if y'all do that thing, no harm, no foul, yeah, no, no shame. Kink, no kink shaming coming from this podcast. Yeah, no kink shaming. We're a couple freaks over here. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like, like in freak this... flags fly. In this scene, she's just like, I, the reason why I laughed is like, it just felt she was like, Everything that you were insecure about, yeah, you should super be insecure. About. <laughs> uh-huh. And then it, it affects, like you said, it affects him next into the next day because he just can't even work. There's just like women bouncing boobs in his face, and he goes, "Put those away." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm- then he goes looking for Nick again because uh you know like he he realizes that nick is no longer at the sonata cafe mm-hmm. um he tries to find out where where he's staying and that's the scene where you were talking about where he goes to the diner and shows his medical card mm-hmm. to the time di- to the lady working at the diner oh wait shout out to a very flamboyant alan cumming <laughs> yes who really caught me off guard i, w- I don't know why <laughs> i know it almost feels like he's like over you know just playing like how horny he is for bill (laughs) yeah i thought he was gonna take bill in the back and suck him off right there uh but he ends up actually revealing to bill that nick was taken by two big guys like early that morning he was checked out of the hotel and he's now gone big meaty men who left him with a uh (laughs) left him with a black eye apparently yes so Bill is horrified. He also needs to go return his mask to Rainbow Fashions. So he goes back to Rainbow Fashions. And again, it almost feels like now he's going to these places in the daytime and they're not as sexy and, you know, neat to look at as all these places were like last night where everything mm-hmm. looked cool. And it's almost like this, like really, oh, cool. I'm here. You know that SpongeBob like square pants episode where he's like working overnight at the Krusty Krab and everything excites him because he's doing it at night. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel like this movie was when it was like Bill walking through the streets at night. And then when it's the daytime, like everything just looks depressing and normal. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so he goes back to Rainbow Fashions. He gives Millich the costume back. And of course, mm-hmm. the mask is missing. So, but he's rich, so he's going to pay for it. <laughs> and, and it's super uh, weird because Millich's daughter is there, and the two guys are there that she was with the night before. And Bill asks, you know, weren't you calling the police? And then I forget something, Millich says something to the effect about like oh, money. 
like money said, being more important, right? He said that they came to an arrangement. That's what it was. And then if you want it to get even more creepy, which it does, that's when he says that if the good doctor ever needs anything, even if it's not a costume, to let him know, basically meaning that he is going to prostitute his daughter to Bill. Mm-hmm. Creepy. Disgusting. Uh, slimy. Everything about Millie's and his daughter and these two men are like the grossest parts of this movie. <laughs> and then um, and then the, kind of like the other part is like as kind of revealing the truth, not that the night of sexiness is over. Like it's interesting, right? Yeah. Every he tries to like backstep and ex- re-experience everything in during the daytime. Retracing it, his steps in many ways. And it's like he calls Marion and uh the the woman that originally the the pa- the dead patient's daughter that was like trying to make out with him mm. and the fiance uh picks up so he hangs up. And then he goes and he, he goes to Domino's apartment. Um and like it looks like at this point he's all horned up and ready to to hook up with Domino with her roommate. Not and even yeah, her. And like it's weird. Like it is weird how horny he shows up there. And he shows up and he's going like he's practically undressing her. No, not and, practically. He did undress her. She was and, wearing like a like a top that was tied in the front, and he unties it and basically starts sticking his hand in there. He is creepy as hell. Now, and, he was already weird, but now he is creepy as hell. And she stops him, sits him down, and tells him, "Hey, if you were with uh, Domino, you should know that she got like blood test results back, and she's HIV positive." Yes. But, and of course, you know, this time in the 90s, it's still like we're maybe a decade and some change removed from the from the beginning of the of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. So it's a couple like, decades ago, like HIV AIDS are a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, like there was lots of shows, like TV shows and movies in the 90s that talked about HIV. But all of them basically, it's like HIV, like people would would treat you as if you were someone who had smallpox basically which of course you know for those who don't know hiv can be it's a blood you know it's a bloodborne disease and it can only be you know transferred you know sexually or sexually yeah through the use of intravenous fluids like i used to work in hiv before like at the beginning of actually yeah that's crazy at the beginning of this podcast was when i was working in uh Mm -hmm. And I can talk about it a little bit more now because I'm not in the work. But yeah, when I first started, at, when we first started this podcast, I was working in the public health department as a HIV outreach worker. So it's like, I yeah, I, there was like two, three years of my life was dedicated to that type of work until COVID came around. Yeah, basically changed the nature of your work and now you're doing something completely different. So I know. And now I'm in school. <laughs> um but yeah, but it's yeah. crazy. He tracks his, like you said, he was he's just been like revisiting all these places and seeing the not sexy truth of all these places now. It's in some ways, I mean, not the same way, but it's kind of like, you know, when you wake up from a dream and if you remember certain parts of the dream, you're trying to remember exactly what it was. And some of the details, like if you ever try to remember a dream, a lot of times you may not even remember the actual details and it's mm-hmm. hard to remember what you even dreamt about. So yeah. that's what that that's what this part of it kind of feels like. Um, yeah, and then I think it, this is when he gets contacted by Ziegler, right? Like after he's been, like he went 
Mm, not quite. He ends up going to a cafe, um, and there he reads the newspaper. Well, no, he ends up going back to Somerton mm-hmm. after oh, he's like right. looking for Nick, and that's where like the two there's the guys who drive up to the front gate at Somerton in the daytime, and basically tell him your inquiries have been useless. Please don't continue to look into this, or else you know consider this your second warning. Mm-hmm. So basically, he's been being watched all day. Um, then he goes back into the city, goes to a cafe, reads in the newspaper that the prostitute, I guess, with a former beauty queen, um, has now died of an overdose, the girl who was at Ziegler's party. Um, and he realizes that he's going to go to whatever hospital see that to try to find out if that's exactly who he's thinking it is, which mm-hmm. is highly unethical that he what he ends up doing. But I guess in the 90s, he could get away with it. I don't know. It, oh, it, yeah. It, it, it was it, way easier to get rid of or get away with shit like this in the 90s. <laughs> um, but as he's like, you know, went to the newspaper stand to get the newspaper before he went to the cafe, he's being followed by like a big bald guy <laughs> who's like just following down the streets and like looking for him. And then they play the creepy piano music that they played at the mansion again. Mm-hmm. So automatically you start to think that this is one of the guys from the, you know, Summerton that's probably following him. Um, Let's see from there. He goes to the hospital. He sees her at the, you know, at, you know, in the autopsy room, Mm -hmm. uh, morgue, whatever. And that's where Ziegler calls him back. And we get the final scene of Bill and Ziegler talking to each other. Yeah. Pretty much Ziegler is just saying, look, the society's just trying to scare you, but understand that they can make good on those threats. Uh, They're not, they don't intend to do it, but don't give them reason to. Um, implying that a lot of the people that if he knew who was a part of this secret sex cult that he, he would it would scare him oh man I could never imagine Tom Cruise putting himself in such a position like this <laughs> <laughs> said no one ever <laughs> yeah and uh, Ziegler's actually kind of he's kind of addicted to him here he's like oh you want some whiskey here have some whiskey and he goes no you shouldn't have been there I was there and, and and you know here's this this scenario that you keep jerking yourself off to it's not what you think it is like just really mm. angry at him to the point where i'm like yeah these guys might never be friends again after this <laughs> yeah he pretty much treats bill the way bill treats everyone that doesn't make as much money as he does yes he just kind of suns him super hard <laughs> oh yeah take that rich boy <laughs> <laughs> City boys, city boys. (laughs) That's some true city boy behavior, right there. Uh, And yeah, so he and uh, Ziegler insists that Nick is back home safe, back in Seattle. Um, and that Mandy, after he ended up leaving, that Mandy just did what she does: is she's paid to be a sex worker. She had sex with people, and that uh, Bill said it himself that it was only a matter of time before she eventually died of another overdose. Yeah, um, and he also tells him that he's the one who had Bill followed. So the guy who was following him to the newspaper stand was a private investigator who was hired by Ziegler. And the creepy part is you don't know whether Ziegler's telling the truth. No, you never find out. 
that that's never explained you never find out what happened at Summerton. again it's one of those things that may have happened or may have not even happened Mm -hmm. because after this whole thing happens and when bill goes back home that's when he comes back to his room and he finds Alice asleep on one side of the bed. And on the other side of the bed, he sees the mask that disappeared after the party, uh, the mm-hmm. costume mask. And that's where he like kind of breaks down and starts crying and tells, finally tells Alice, I'll tell you everything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, wakes her up with this, you know, squealing. <clears throat> the next scene is <laughs> his little bitch ass squealing. And then the next scene is of him and Alice like sitting, uh, you know, in the living room. Uh, Alice is now crying. And, mm-hmm. you know, you pretty much know that he told her everything, probably. I was about to screw a prostitute. I ended up at a crazy mansion sex orgy. <laughs> I promise I didn't have sex with anyone, though. Most of like, can't know game. <laughs> I was JK. I wasn't for serious. <laughs> no, I was just, I was, at honey, I was asking where the hoes at, so I knew to avoid those places. <laughs> I wanted to know where the hose was at so I could avoid said hose. (laughs) So then you get this, like, you know, the scene of them where Alice, like, basically just tells him, hey, we should just be, you know, um, we have to go take our daughter Christmas gift shopping today. So they're in the toy store, and while she's going around playing, this part is another part that makes me think of being married, which is like not. The, the exact conversation that they're having but like the fact that you try to have a serious conversation around like your kid running back and forth somewhere mm-hmm. and you're trying to keep it quiet so that they don't hear like you know you're just talking about something that you know your kid cannot hear mm-hmm. uh, but you know the, the, while that's happening at the toy store that's where Alice tells him hey you know what we need to tell each other is that even though these things have happened and these almost moments have happened we need to be grateful that None of that has happened to us. Like none of us have actually done it. And to bring home the dream thing, she basically says that now we we can both wake up. You mm-hmm. know. So and it's then... like it's it, it's literally just been this like you know this this long epic dream that they've had that is now over. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it all, she suggests that there is one more thing that they should do. And Bill asks what? She simply responds, fuck. Roll credits. Roll right the credits. Stanley Kubrick marketed this movie and had trailers for it saying, you were going to watch Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman screw this movie and basically gave you a couple, one scene where it may have started happening but never did and mm-hmm. said, ha ha. It actually isn't happening. <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> in, you dumb bitches. And in fact, what this movie was actually about is it, about Mara's problems and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Eyes Wide Shut. So yeah. I have to now ask you, Javi, <laughs> do you like Eyes Wide Shut? You know what? I was I walked into this podcast episode being like this movie fucking sucks and Angel's a fucking dickhead for making me watch it. <laughs> but after talking about it and after dissecting it, I have actually turned towards this movie. I actually yeah! do like it. <laughs> I think I think if you watch it under the study of like a family, right? And mm-hmm. a relationship which 
is going through something that all relationships go through. I think everyone in a relationship has thought about what it would be like to be unfaithful in their relationship at mm-hmm. some point. Like, it's just, we're human. That's, we always wonder about greener pastures in other places and if they really are greener. And it really kind of drives that home. But what I do like about this movie is it's also, it plays into the whole fact, whether it was its intention to or not, like the toxic masculinity that Bill's now experiencing where his mm-hmm. fra- his fragile ego has been crushed and now he's now creating a lot of his own problems as a result of that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I thought um I thought there was great performances like I told you I thought the argument in their in the in the bedroom was probably the best scene in the entire film. Um it has good scenes of being creepy and being very eerie. Like, I see why people enjoy this film. <laughs> Should this have been on our Christmas lineup? Who cares? We're sickos. Fuck Merry off. Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta say, I like this movie. It caught me off guard how I ended up how I ended up being so against it at the beginning, and now I'm like, no, nah, I like it. Yeah. My thoughts on it, obviously, I came into this movie telling you that I liked it and trying to explain the reasons why I like it. And I, I love that you came out of it thinking what you did. Because honestly, again, it, this movie, when it first came out in 99, it was largely considered a flop. It was considered disappointing. Like a lot of people were waiting for Stanley Kubrick next work. And he thought it was the best thing ever. But a lot of people were like, eh, this is not good. <laughs> and uh, this was the very disappointing final work of his. But it is one of those movies that like now I feel like people are going back to it and people are starting to 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 get more interested in it. And again, again, a lot of Stanley Kubrick stuff, I think because of the kind of director he was and the subject matter of it, I, I'm not a huge fan of his movies like I was like in my early 20s. In my early mm. 20s, I loved I thought he was the best ever and I loved a lot of stuff. Now that I'm older, I, I like The Shining because his version of The Shining is just really great. But mm-hmm. then I also just really like this movie too for all yeah. the reasons that we said. I think it, it's a really interesting story that he decides to tell. It's weird how we get there. It's mm-hmm. weird that this movie has like that it has this weird quality that it does. But again, there's so much about it that's interesting enough, and it's like they like there's parts of it that are like you know left to your imagination, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting enough some of the things that it not only is it a good movie to watch. But I think the conversation that you and I have had around this is part of the reason why I like it so much. It is a movie that gets you to talk with other people because when you watch it, you're really stuck wondering what it is that you've watched. And as you kind of talk to somebody else about it or listen to a podcast on it or watch a YouTube video on it, you realize that there's a lot in there that you may have not noticed the first time. So, yeah, if you, um, especially by now, by 2022 sensibilities, like if you're able to get through, like if you're able to put aside the Kubrickisms um, and also kind of like the art house misogyny that kind of comes up, like if you can just uh, like put that in a box put that to the side for a bit like your hang-ups on that shit uh and you're really able to just kind of watch it for the story that's going on which is literally about a marriage on the rocks like yeah it's a really good study on that so yeah i agree all right so we'd like to thank you guys for uh joining us for this episode of the show 
Uh, we really appreciate you guys continuing to follow us uh, on the podcast. We're glad that we're back doing <laughs> quote unquote Christmas movies. <laughs> and um, to wrap up December and to wrap up our 2022, we're actually going to be putting a uh, poll up on our Instagram page uh, with several different movies. And we're going to allow you guys to actually pick what it is that we're going to watch for Christmas and our final episode of the year. So, yeah. Uh, so just so the the streets don't hate us, these are actually going to be Christmas movies. <laughs> well, so start looking like at the Netflix. movies that we've been reviewing. I think that there is a chance that it could be a movie that takes place on Christmas, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to be a bad thing. I think this is the most out there one that we've done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, it'll be less tangential than this one was <laughs> anyway thanks y'all we appreciate your support and your constant listenership and uh yeah please uh leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you can uh rate the podcast on apple Podcasts. leave us a rating on spotify if you can and uh we'll talk to you guys next time all right later y'all